So this is uh, the Tina Sermon, part two. <laughs> we have been uh, going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, I suppose a lot of us average being here about 50% of the time, and I don't know how much we're here when we're here. Um, so I realize that I've kind of enjoyed listening to each passage twice. I actually remember something from at least one message. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're talking about parents and children. Any of those here? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad we let kids roam around to a certain degree. I was asked to speak to an Indian Christian fellowship yesterday, um, a little mini conference. And at one point, uh, it was about a group size that we have here, about the same number of kids. And one little girl who didn't look like she was attached to anybody that I could see um, just came up where I was. She didn't cause any problems. She just kind of walked back and forth about four or five feet from where I was standing, wandered around. And years ago, that might have freaked me out, but after scum, it's just like, okay, <laughs> I guess that's fine. I did find out later that her dad was in the audience, but, you know, she wasn't doing any, anything wrong, so why not? And that's actually a lead-in <laughs> to where I want to start. Think back to when you were a kid, if you're not anymore. <laughs> what, and, and don't say it out loud, we might be horrified, but what are the best and worst examples of things you're parents, guardians, or whoever raised you did as you were growing up. Anything come to mind right away? And if you're like me, it's the bad stuff that you think of first, <laughs> which isn't really in my case all that bad. Um, I lived in a different time and place, and I was a pretty compliant kid to begin with. So um, I, I cannot come anywhere close to telling the stories that, that some of you can. That's why nobody will ever ask me for story night. Just don't have anything interesting enough. But I do remember the time in second grade when a little kid named Bobby Clementine about half my size, and I wasn't huge, but he was a cool kid, and I wanted to be cool, and I never was. Lived not too far from my house, and sometimes we walked partway home together, and uh, he said, let's throw rocks at cars. Now, I knew immediately that was a bad thing. But we're not talking about anything that would be called a rock in Colorado. 
we're talking about tiny little gravel pebbles in one guy's parking lot where parking lot one guy's uh, driveway where you could hide behind a bush and uh, I wanted to be cool so with my stomach tied in knots and total fear I watched Bobby pick up a few of these little pebbles and his aim was terrible he couldn't hit the side of a barn door and and I watched as he was doing it and I realized after a while what was going on every little pebble he threw went behind the car because he was aiming at the car and then he would throw it but by the time it would get there the car would be further on I don't know if I'd ever heard the word physics, but I was able to figure that much out. So I finally got up the nerve and picked up a pebble and thought, I'm going to aim to throw this a ways in front of the car. And the first try, I landed it on the windshield. It was a bright red car. I can still see it. I wasn't prepared for what happened next. This car screeched to a halt and parked and out came a man I recognized as the only man, the only male teacher at our grade school. He was a fifth grade teacher. His name was Mr. Rakus. And the kids used to say he would rake us to pieces because he was mean. What are the odds? And of course, there was no place for us to run. And he came over, and I think he realized that Bobby had to be the ringleader. And he yelled and yelled at him. And then he turned to me, and he said, I've heard you're supposed to be a smart kid. That was the stupidest thing you could have done. And I felt like about two inches high. Funny how that evening my parents seemed to know about this incident. I hadn't told them. I'm sure Bobby hadn't. <laughs> that was back in a day when... Uh, Adults talk to each other <laughs> about things kids did wrong, and, and other parents welcome that feedback. Not sure that would always be the case today. And I'll hand it to my, my folks. If, if I got some kind of punishment, uh, discipline, uh, privileges removed, I, I don't remember it. What I remember was the interminable lecture. My mother had a gift. She could take away privileges. I could do the time. I couldn't handle. It seemed like it went on for an hour. It, it couldn't have, but. The explanation, 
of why this was wrong. And then when she said everything possible to explain it, she started it again for another three times. And that was the more effective deterrent (laughs) for me, thinking of having to listen to one of my mother's lectures. I, I don't know what it was. The things that normal people could get away with, multiple times, I couldn't get away with. Fast forward to my sophomore year of high school. Residential street, wide enough to have a dotted white line in the middle, but not wide enough to have more than two cars pass each other if any car is parked on the side. You could walk along the sidewalk for five minutes and not see a car. And then one might pass slowly. And as we grew up, it got a little busier. A couple businesses opened at the end of the street. But uh, you could walk in the middle of the street and be safe. And this time, it was not Bobby, it was Bill Bodell. How is it that I remember the names of these people? (laughs) And this is about all I associate with them. (laughs) Pretty sad. And he said, you know what's fun to do? No, Bill, what? Let's walk on the middle white line. Plenty of room for cars to go past us. They don't come that often. But it's kind of cool. And Bill was cool. And I wanted to be cool. And I was never cool. (laughs) And this didn't work either. I had walked on the sidewalk past this street. I don't know how many days over how many years. I'd never once seen a police car. We didn't take more than about 15 steps walking down the middle of that street and all of a sudden, loud enough to make me jump if I could. <laughs> woo! 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 This whooping siren. And I go, oh, crap. And, and on the uh, loudspeaker, get out of the street. I don't know how my mother heard about that one either. To this day, I don't know how she heard about it. And there was another lecture. Why do I start that way? Because Mike Sayers likes personal stories in his sermons. (laughs) The last time Fran spoke, she saved her personal story until the very end. And Mike came up to us afterwards and said, I was getting worried. There was nothing personal there. And then finally gave us a good one at the end. So did it, Mike, wherever you are. (laughs) But that's not the main reason. I don't know if what my mom did was good or bad. It was a deterrent. But I remember asking her years later, 
why did you do that? I never heard of any other kids. Either their parents didn't care and they got away with everything or they would just get punished. They'd get disciplined. They'd have some privilege revoked. I never heard of any other kid whose parent just lectured. Well, my mom was a school teacher. (laughs) And she said, well, you know, we read some of the books on parenting that were the state of the art in the 1960s. And they said that a lot of times kids misbehave because they don't understand why what they're doing is is really wrong. And you have to explain it to them. I thought, yeah, I, I can see that in some situations. It didn't apply to me. I knew exactly what was wrong. I just wanted to do it with a cool guy to be cool. And it never worked. Never. Not once. I could keep telling you stories, but then you'd be bored if you're not already. We have a passage tonight that's tied into all of this. It's only four verses. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This comes right in the middle of a three-part section in Ephesians, what commentators sometimes call Paul's domestic code. Ground rules of instructions for people in the extended families that lived together in the first century Roman Empire. Parents and children, husbands and wives, and sometimes masters and slaves. And the father played all three roles of husband, parent, and master. We've already looked at uh, wives and husbands some. Next week, I think, we are ready to uh, turn to masters and slaves. But what's interesting about this trio of relationships is that Paul does something completely expected half of the time and completely unexpected half of the time. Nobody would have batted an eye when he said, wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, my gosh, they do more than bat an eye today. (laughs) But we're done with that. That's not our passage tonight. 
Nobody would have batted an eye when somebody said, children, obey your parents or slaves, obey your masters. This was the culture. This was what was expected. Christianity breaks from its culture in many ways, but not in every way. You can't be so different from a culture that you have no points of contact with them or you have no impact for good at all. And when it comes to parents and children, most of us still kind of think that at least if you've got a decent mother or father, the best way for the household to function is that children do what reasonable parents ask them to do. Society doesn't help us like it did in the first century. It didn't matter if I was Jewish or Greek or Roman. If I was out in the local park, and yes, they did have parks. And uh, I was a dad or a mom, and I saw somebody else's kid misbehaving, and their parents weren't close enough to... Uh, do anything about it, it was almost my responsibility and certainly my right to intervene and say, uh, <laughs> Paulos, stop hitting your brother. That's Greek for Paul. Just wanted to make it lifelike. <laughs> I have a good friend who... Uh, not too many years ago in Denver, pulled a kid twice the size of his son off of his son, who he was bullying and pummeling. And with the adrenaline rush, the father, in pulling the bigger boy off of his son, knocked him to the ground. Didn't leave a mark. The dad saw this from a distance and called the cops. My friend was taken off to jail until he posted bond. What a lunatic society <laughs> we've become. I'm not sure which is crazier, the parent or the police. <laughs> but that wouldn't have happened in Paulus's world. It certainly wouldn't have happened in a tightly knit Jewish community. It was almost as if religion had said, obey your parents and any other adult in sight. <laughs> not quite, not quite. But it certainly could feel that way. When I was in my 20s, there was a man who was wildly popular in conservative evangelical Christian circles by the name of Bill Gothard. You can read all about him online. I was curious, and I found out. He's now 83 and still doing what he did 60 years ago, which was to go around to churches and youth groups and teach that 
Obedience to your parents lasts a lifetime. He never married. His father died early. He lived with his mom until she passed away when I think he was in his 50s. And never made an important decision without consulting her and getting her permission. Will you excuse me while I gag? <laughs> but there was a subculture of uh, conservative American Christians that thought, oh, this is the way to go. I don't know why. I don't know anybody who continued to do it for all that long. But there was probably some popular kid who <laughs> believed in it. And... A lot of people flock to him. That's not what Paul the Apostle is talking about. Paul the Apostle knew his Bible. He was a learned Jew who had studied to become a rabbi. He knew the stories in Exodus of the midwives who disobeyed the Pharaoh's order to kill the male children that the Israelites bore. He knew the stories in Daniel. And those of you who have been around for a few years, I will never again read Daniel without seeing Mike in the robes of Nebuchadnezzar. Just amazing. Wonderful. <laughs> he knew about the orders to eat the same food that was given the other young men of Babylon. And how Daniel disobeyed it because it was impure and how God honored that and made him stronger anyway. Paul knew about also in Daniel the story of when Nebuchadnezzar had a giant statue of himself built and commanded everyone to bow down before it. And Daniel and his three friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to do it and they were thrown in the fiery furnace and God protected them. Whether Paul is talking to wives or children or slaves or employees or anybody who is in a position under authority for however short or long a period of time, he never wants us to obey those people if they are telling us to break God's law. But Tina talked a lot out of verses 1 to 3, said a lot of good stuff. And we strategized in advance, and I'm the parent. So it fell to me to do more with verse 4. Tina referred to this verse last week, Deuteronomy 5.16 in Deuteronomy's version of the Ten Commands, Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Lord isn't giving us a literal land. He's not promising us 
If you obey your parents, your average lifespan will be 85. If you don't, it'll be 63. <laughs> In which case, my days are very, very numbered. <laughs> I will hit that milestone on the 3rd of August. But life in general goes better for people who cooperate with others, who defer to authority. That's hardly controversial. But now comes the part I find just incredibly fascinating. Steve prayed in the GIST meeting that tonight might be fun. What a great prayer. I hope this is fun. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. What does that mean? Well, here are what some other translations put. Don't be too hard on your children. Don't make them bitter or resentful about life. Don't overcorrect your children. <laughs> and my favorite, don't drive your children mad. And then there's the wonderful amplified version that regularly takes everything keywords could possibly mean and puts them all together in a single passage. If you ever tried to read the whole Bible from start to finish, it would take you three times as long as any other. But I can handle it in short doses. Do not provoke your children to anger. That is, do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. No, the one word exasperate doesn't mean all that. <laughs> but it's a nice little miniature commentary on what Paul might have meant. What are some real-life situations? Well, I can tell you what they're not. It's not the kid, and if you're a parent, you, you know when this happens. It's, it's very clear. The first time it happens, you say to yourself, Oh, poop. <laughs> or whatever you say. The kid has reached a new stage. Before, you were never sure if it was deliberate, flagrant disobedience. Now there is the gleam in her or his eye. It's a clear command. There's no question in mind as to whether he understands it. It's something that's important, and it probably involves their own safety or that of others. It really needs to be obeyed, and you can tell from the look in their eyes. I'm going to do the exact opposite. And they do. I know it's too late for some of us. <laughs> but 
If it's not, the first time that happens, don't ever let that go ignored. It will only get worse. However you understand the discipline that you and your family have decided they're going to use, that's the time for it. And the worst thing you can do is when a kid pitches a fit because they don't get what they want, but it's not something good. You give in and back off and you say, oh, well, I didn't realize you wanted it that badly. Okay, because now you've taught them how to get it the next time. Pitch the fit worse if necessary. Is the kid exasperated if you discipline them? Maybe, but it'll go away. I guarantee it. Oh, I know, it might be minutes, maybe even hours, but it'll go away. No, I'm thinking, and I think Paul is thinking of, well, where did we start in the message? What first comes to your mind when you think about your childhood? There are always rules. There are always things that have to be done mom or dad's way. If it were in the working world, we'd call it micromanagement. No, don't do that. Why don't you do this? Is it a moral issue? If not, then let them do it. Create a safe environment. Childproof, where the child is going to be allowed to the very best of your ability so they can freely go in and choose to do almost anything they want in there. And it's not something you have to correct them for. Then there will be less exasperation. But that's only... Half of a two-part verse. Don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. One of the fun things about little kids is how easily they're distracted. It's also one of the annoying things. <laughs> but it can work to your advantage when they're doing something they shouldn't and here, let's play with this instead. Oh, yeah, my favorite truck, my favorite doll. And I won't assume those line up with any genders. <laughs> we can apply that to what Paul says here as well. I don't know if Fran remembers it quite the same way as I do, but my version is that at least one, if not both of our girls, when they were pretty young, began to try to postpone bedtime. Does anybody ever do that? <laughs> and they discovered that Fran would allow it up to a point if postponement meant reading a Bible story. 
and maybe having a prayer and maybe just having a little serious mom-daughter conversation time. What a wonderful way to turn something that somebody else might have flipped out and you'll go to bed now and you will sleep and kid gets all worked up and that never induces sleep. (laughs) And now our daughters learn that they could buy some extra minutes. What's wrong with that? Because it was being used for a positive end. And as they grew older, Fran would still spend significant time at bedtime with one or both of the girls. And I think all three grown women now would look back on that as a very precious time. That's why I liked Steve's prayer. Make learning about Jesus fun. Be as creative as scum or more so. Try something new. Be a little crazy if the kid enjoys it. Every once in a while I hear a mom or a dad say, well, I don't, I don't want to push my religion on my kids. I want them to be able to, to choose for themselves. It's not what Paul says here. That's turning your back on what God commands in the Bible. Besides, human nature runs in every creative way it possibly can from true religion. You don't have to worry about overly biasing your kids toward Christianity. You do have to worry about giving them a negative view of the church or of religion or of rules, none of which summarize the teaching of my Bible. But if this is something we enjoy, if this is something we can help our kids to enjoy, if they can have fun and be growing spiritually, then we've got a win-win atmosphere. I don't know what uh, those of you who all have little kids will do in 10, 15 years or sooner. We've never had a youth group at SCUM. Maybe we never will. Maybe that's not what God has called us to But most adolescents, sooner or later, especially in our American culture, need to see that there are a good number of people their age that share their parents' love of Jesus, if it's going to take, if they're really going to own it for themselves. I think my parents tried as hard as they knew how to to give me every advantage. My mom was a lifelong Lutheran, so of course we went to church and we went to Sunday school and we went to daily vacation Bible school and we memorized scripture and I went to confirmation class and I said all the right things 
But I don't think I was born again. I had to meet fellow high school sophomores in a Campus Life Youth for Christ club and say, oh, my goodness. This can be real for some people my age because the eighth graders I was confirmed with, sadly, in 1968, you might have studied it in history. It was a tumultuous year. <laughs> Pretty much confirmation was the ticket to leave church. Did my time. Now I can go out and be a hippie or whatever. Which was never the idea. It's just what it had devolved into. But campus life, I found kids who were cool and willing to accept me. And I didn't have to throw any rocks at cars or walk down the middle of the street to be cool. And it actually worked. Oh, I still wasn't cool with the real cool kids at school, but it didn't matter because I had some genuine friends my age, really, for about the first time in my life. Oh, I had a few boys I was sort of close to growing up for specialized activities, games, certain sports, but not across the board, not interested in every aspect of my life. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. We could put mothers in there today, too. Instead, bring them up in the excitement and joy and fun and craziness and sincerity and genuine love that you model for them and to them and with them of the Lord. And life will be cool. Shall we pray? Lord, we have such wonderful people here at Scum. And we have a ton of wonderful kids. And so many times we don't know what we're doing. And what works for one kid doesn't work for the next. And what worked for one parent doesn't work for the next. We need your wisdom. We need your love. We need consistency for the long haul. And we blow it. Help us swallow our pride and apologize, including to our kids, when we blow it with them. They need to see that model, too. Thank you that you pick us up when we blow it with you time and time and time again. You are our heavenly Abba. Not quite, but almost, Daddy. Thank you that we can be that close to you. Thank you for every gift of grace that you have given us, not one of which we deserve, not one of which 
we could ever deserve in this life. Help some of that grace rub off on us as we parent and for a few of us as we grandparent. And if we don't have kids ourselves, as we come around those we care about who do. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.